Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. Happy New Year. With me today, Jamie Wilkerson. How are you, Jamie? I'm doing great. Did your family uh, make it through the pandemic Christmas? Yes. Yes, we did. We survived. It was great. And uh, we did as well, even though I know some people have suffered some losses. I'm thankful that Christmas still brings a, a light of hope. And as we enter into the new year, there's a whole new calendar of 12 months to face. And with the vaccine uh, that's been out there combating the COVID virus, and as uh, we have hope that the world is going to return to some kind of uh, freedom again, uh, there's lots to look forward to. All right, but during the pandemic, I've had to uh, be confined to my home, as many people have been much of the time. And I want you to know that my wife and I, I just have to, I have to confess, we became binge watchers of the Netflix series, The Crown. Have you seen The Crown? You know what? I have not seen the new crown. (laughs) I haven't seen the new episodes. There are some uh, things that uh, are still waiting ahead in The Crown because I don't have Netflix at my house. So I buy the DVDs a year after they've actually been up online. Okay. So I'm a year behind, but I kind of know the story anyway. Right. But it's such a phenomenal production. I just, okay, if you haven't seen it, I'm giving you my DVDs. Oh, thank you so much. We'd love to watch it. You know what, Jamie? The Crown, this Netflix production, which uh, is a kind of fictional narrative based in the history of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II in the United Kingdom, this series on television, on Netflix, has become one of the most popular productions of all time. I mean, it has created a huge audience and following. In fact, I even read that Google is acknowledging that when a new season of The Crown lands on Netflix, Google has its search engine is overwhelmed by people searching up historical details that are in the Crown series. Yes. Well, Google's not overwhelmed, but they, uh-huh. they can see the spike because people are watching it. And they're going, now, wait a minute. What was the Suez crisis? I <laughs> well, know. Who was Harold Macmillan anyway? <laughs> what about the Profuma affair? These mm-hmm. are historic markers in the series, and people dive in while they're watching it because it's so fascinating. And I know you haven't seen The Crown, but mm-hmm. you were just telling me that you watched the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. I did. I've watched, you know, the the historical, all of that is documented, thankfully. And so if you go on Google, <laughs> you can watch, you know, the original. And, and they even have comparison videos so that you can see the accuracy. And it's just really amazing how they were able to duplicate almost identical. That's like, right. It's almost identical. It's so amazing. Part of the crown on Netflix, part of its charm is not just the compelling story, mm-hmm. but the production values yes. and the sets and the and the exact replica. There are famous pictures of Princess Diana that everyone has seen in the crown. They reproduce the blue suit or the taffeta dress mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, there's so much attention to detail. But it all just kind of makes me wonder, Jamie, What is it about the crown, and I don't mean just the series, what is it about the royal family or about royalty uh, that fascinates us so much? I mean, you watch the coronation, an old black and white newsreel from 1952. I know. Why do you think that is? It's just, I just, I was enthralled. Like, I couldn't imagine, first of all, the the weight of the garment that um, Queen Elizabeth wore, um, during the coronation and just the dignity of the whole um, event, it was it was just 
amazing. I couldn't take my eyes off of, you know, the scenes. And then just the idea of royalty just reminds me of how God says that we're a royal priesthood. And so sometimes, honestly, I look at the royal family for clues as to how we are to handle things in life. I may not have a hundred pound train to walk down the aisle, but wait a minute, are there some lessons? And oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because today we're going to unpack a little bit of the magnetism of the crown on Netflix and actually some other real life royal stories that still speak today. As my wife and I have been watching The Crown, uh, and I say binge watching because, you know, we have a weekend where we can't leave the house in the way we might normally. So I just popped in those DVDs and watched six or seven episodes you know, oh, over wow. a weekend. Uh, each one so fascinating, each one framed by history. Let's just be upfront. Mm-hmm. There's some controversy about The Crown because many people, royal watchers, people who get into the weeds, think, well, wait a minute, that's not really a fair representation of those events, or Mm -hmm. there's some dispute about, is the Queen or Prince Philip really like that? Nobody really knows they live somewhat behind a veil. But all that said, it is a series based on the large frame of history. In other words, we know Queen Elizabeth became the Queen of the United Kingdom and many nations of the Commonwealth uh, in 1952. I mean, that's a history. History fact, we know she had four children. Uh, We've watched some of that family life play out for the good end and the distressing Mm -hmm. uh, on the world stage. It is a story that maybe is fascinating because we know that in its most elemental content, it's true. And the queen seems to live in a world separated from our own. She's on a throne, you might say. And even though she may not wield a lot of political power out front, clearly she's a person of influence. In the same way as I've been watching The Crown, though, I'm thinking, whoa, there's some other real-life stories of royalty that also have captured the imagination, not just of a television season, but of centuries. And I could not escape thinking about King David. You know that guy? Oh, yes. (laughs) One of my favorites. David is the biblical character who is mentioned more often in the Old and New Testaments than any other figure. Wow. wow. I mean, that's a data point that I have to admit took me by surprise because David is named even more times than Jesus. Now, how so? Well, even in the story of Jesus, Jesus is called the son of David. So there's Jesus, son of David. David is this huge towering figure over the history of scripture. And I think is every bit as fascinating as Elizabeth II might be. Yes. Most people know that David was the king of Israel. He lived many centuries before Christ, and he reigned with great influence and success. If you take the sum of his years on the throne together, even though he had some backsteps and some missteps, uh, and he himself uh, had some deep personal failures. Nevertheless, if you took the sum of his life, uh, he comes out standing tall. And in his story, we find 
a young person who then accepts a call to serve in a way that transforms his whole life and the life of those around him. That's a little bit of what I think the crown uh, today talks to us about, that Elizabeth is this young girl, her her father is not in line to become king, it's her uncle's job. Uh, mm-hmm. Suddenly the uncle steps out in the famous case of abdication mm-hmm. in the 1930s to marry the woman. He says he loved, but was not permitted at the time by the Church of England. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly Elizabeth's dad becomes the king, which changes her trajectory forever. Mm-hmm. She's a teenager, I think, at the time that occurs. And she suddenly is thrust into a role that she did not believe at her birth would be hers. And King David has a little bit of that going on too, doesn't he? Oh, yes. What do you know about David growing up? Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, David was a shepherd, which um, interestingly enough, I saw, I read somewhere that that was like considered the lowest position um, that a person could have. And so he was... um, given that responsibility as the youngest child. And David was, um, you know, he was, he spent a lot of time alone, you know, out in the the field watching over the sheep. And the Bible doesn't record any complaining about, you know, and I think (laughs) about teenagers today and with that work, but um, David spent a lot of time alone. And so, and even when we see um, one of my favorite accounts of David is David and Goliath. Um, but even when he went to um, take food to his brothers and carry out his duties um, for his family, he was still alone. His brothers were together, but he was alone. So it's like he was kind of separated from them. And, you know, today, you know, and I don't know what David really thought at that time, but, you know, that could be kind of hurtful, you know, to mm-hmm. see all of your brothers rallied together. They're always unified. And then here you are by yourself. And and even when um, David, I remember David going to, I guess, take some food to his brothers and one of his brothers, you know, kind of called him out a little bit and said, I see your, I see what you're thinking. I know what you're <laughs> thinking. <laughs> Don't even think about it. There, there and I was... thought, wow, you know, that's that that could be hurtful, you know, but David... He just continued to to walk in the step, the ordered steps of God, you know, as we saw. And and then I thought about it later. You know, it was good that he was separated, you know, and it just kind of life application. Sometimes it's good to be separated because imagine if he was kind of in with his brothers and he would have had that same fear that they had. Because sometimes when you're around people, you start to speak that language and you start to act like them. And so God knew what he was doing with David. When he was in that field. The Lord doesn't waste anything, even no, sibling doesn't. rivalry. And, and <laughs> even being the youngest boy in, yes. the, in the family, mm-hmm. just as you've described, he had a singular journey. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what makes him as an adult a singular man. Mm-hmm. We know that David came from a town called Bethlehem, that his father's name was Jesse, and that he did have a, a large number of brothers. Um, we know that David did have a lot of time alone with the sheep, and it's hard for us today to comprehend what that kind of husbandry, animal husbandry, would be like in those days. But property was not fenced off. You know, there was not a farm where you could kind of corral everybody in the wire. He had to go with sheep and lead them from pasture to pasture. Of course, this births a lot of his famous writings in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, it comes straight out of his experience growing up. But as we discover him rising into the role of king, 
were first introduced to this part of his story in a book called 1 Samuel. Samuel himself was a man of God, a towering figure, a wise leader that was trusted uh, by the country. And uh, Samuel felt led by God to find and anoint, go through a process of anointing with oil, someone who would be the next king of Israel. And he wasn't exactly sure who it was, but he was led, Samuel was led to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, and he is asking Jesse, okay, so (laughs) introduce me to your boys, because Mm -hmm. Samuel has it in his mind that one of these sons of Jesse is going to be the next king by the appointment of heaven, but he doesn't know which one. And so the story famously goes how Jesse gets his oldest son, and one by one they come in the order of their age because the culture said the oldest one will be the most capable, the, the next oldest one will be the next most capable, and so on. But as each one came up, even though Samuel's first impression was, oh, this is it, this is him, he, he looks mm-hmm. like a king. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord speaks to Samuel says, no, 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 dial that back. And that's why I want to pick up the story as it's recorded in Scripture. It's in First Samuel, the book of Samuel, and it begins uh, in chapter 16. What does it say there, Jamie? When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. It's so fascinating because Jesse, the dad, is thinking, you can't be serious. Right. <laughs> I've showed you my seven sons who are all just like amazing. Exactly. And you want to see the kid who's out with the sheep, but He's that's out. how it goes. This mm-hmm. is the next verse, number 12 in First Samuel chapter 16. So Jesse sent for him, the youngest. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to his home in Ramah. One of the most powerful episodes in the Netflix series, The Crown, that my wife and I watched had to do with the coronation of Elizabeth. Her father died and she was only 26 years old. 
Uh, he was a relatively young man at his passing, and she suddenly was thrust into the role of being the queen. This was in 1952, the year I was born, so I can always mm. remember it. And at the time, while there was no doubt about it that she was the eldest child of the king and would become the sovereign, still people looked at Elizabeth at just 26 years of, old, of age, thinking, oh, she's kind of naive, or can she really carry this? I mean, this was right after World War II. There were so many challenges for the United Kingdom and its many realms around the world. There was a season of change. India had just secured its freedom from the empire. Lots of plates spinning in the air. I mean, can this young woman actually fill the bill? But she stood into the role. And that came to mind as you were reading about David. Mm -hmm. Because here we have... The crowd of people, Samuel himself, who's the smartest guy in the whole country, the man who walks with God, they're thinking, seriously? <laughs> the, the kid, the, this young one, can he really mm -hmm. do it? Is he old enough? Is, is he really able? Is he prepared? Mm -hmm. All of this demonstrates to us that God does not look on the outside mm -hmm. as we do. And there's a passage in the New Testament, uh, Jamie, I know that it's a very meaningful to you uh, that you've quoted to me before about how uh, God sometimes elevates those that we would not expect. Exactly. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And David, who was seen by the world around him at this time as relatively insignificant, God chose him. And he's going to become the greatest king of Israel ever until Jesus himself bears the mantle. And David is proof for all of us that no matter what the world is thinking about you, no matter even what you think about yourself, know that God has a calling on your life. And you can do things, you can achieve things, and you can become something that nobody in the world around you may recognize or imagine. But God knows none of us are here by accident or by mistake. And the story of David straight up at the beginning, this king story, is actually in so many ways our story. There's another part of this, though, that really strikes me, uh, Jamie, and that is the anointing itself. Mm -hmm. It was the custom in the time of Samuel and David, even as it still is the custom in the United Kingdom, that when someone is recognized or acknowledged or ascends to the throne, to the role of sovereign, there is an anointing. And in the most uh, elemental and literal sense of the term, it's an anointing with oil. It's a pouring of oil or a spreading of oil uh, from the head. Maybe in modern time, it's more of just a, a touch of oil on the forehead, an anointing in that way. Uh, in the time of David, it was likely a much more uh, voluminous yeah. pouring of oil. But there was something about this motif, this signature of oil that had power. The oil itself does not have power, but it represents a covering. Mm -hmm. And what we read in the story is that as David was chosen to be the king, he was anointed with oil in a way that resulted in the Holy Spirit falling on him and owning him, possessing him from that day forward. That's what the scripture says. Mm -hmm. In the crown, Elizabeth II 
is represented as having a coronation ceremony where she is anointed with oil. We know that did happen. But she's also represented as very profoundly and deeply accepting the symbolism and the reality of that anointing, that she understood that God was calling her to this role. And by all historic accounts, by all modern biography, the queen herself, Elizabeth II, is a woman of deep faith. And in the fictionalized series, The Crown, that comes through, that she takes this ceremony that you've referred to as so majestic and dignified. She sees it as a spiritual experience. It's not just pomp and circumstance. She understands that God is calling her to a role, and that will require of her responsibility and duty. David has the same. He sees himself in this moment being anointed by Samuel, who is the representative of God in that place and time, and set apart. Another way to understand anointing is an old term that we don't often hear anymore, but it's called sanctification. Jamie, Mm -hmm. what does that word sanctification mean to you? So to me, sanctification means to be consecrated or set apart. And just as you mentioned um, with Queen Elizabeth's coronation, I believe Queen Elizabeth, like you uh, mentioned, really took it serious. And she really saw it as um, an act of humility or submission to God. And, And I can understand that. I can relate to that. Because when you are sanctified and when you are consecrated or set apart for God's use, you are accountable to a divine authority. So it it supersedes man's authority. You really answer to God. And I think that's the big takeaway today, Jamie, is that you and I are not going to be sitting on a throne and nobody's going to imagine us as the head of state anywhere. I think that's uh, very unlikely. But in the New Testament, the world is changed as Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, he alters the whole kingdom life. So in David's day, he is the king. He is the sovereign of the country in a unique way, differentiated from in the New Testament, where Jesus becomes uh, flesh and blood and comes into the world and is the king of this realm, the kingdom of God. And He makes it possible for us all to be anointed, not just the occasional leader, as was true in the Old Testament day, but today we're called in the New Testament ourselves a royal priesthood. We ourselves are seen as part of the family of the king and that we can ourselves be anointed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified, set apart for holy calling, for great things. Again, We may not govern a country, we may not be on all of the currency as Queen Elizabeth is, but each of us has influence and each of us has the capacity to actually speak into the world around us. And when we understand the anointing of God, when we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit to be poured into us and on us and over us, well, then we also can have a certain kind of status and station in this broken world that allows us to be an ambassador for Christ. There are all kinds of motifs here, aren't there? The mm-hmm. New Testament tells us that all of us now have that capacity. We're not just waiting for someone to be raised up as king, but all of us can be a part of that great kingdom enterprise as Jesus is the one we bow before. I know that in my own experience, I have really relied on God's anointing um, to accomplish sometimes 
seemingly small task. One in particular is parenting today in these times. And sometimes when I'm trying to explain things to my son, spiritual things, I may not. Sometimes it's kind of hard to even explain to him in a way that he can understand. And so I've found myself many days asking God to help me understand or translate his word in a way that he can relate to God's word, interact with it and apply it to his life. Um, And so and then in those cases, when I have allowed God to help me, when I've asked him, invited him to help me, he has given me the anointing to to translate God's word in a way that I may not have even thought of. And so this whole um, passage just reminded me of that and how our strength is really made, I mean, our weakness is really made strong when we ask God for his anointing. When we ask him for that anointing, it gives us empowerment to just live out life, to accomplish great things in his name and even the everyday things. You know what? If you're going to be the queen, you better have a supernatural gift of wisdom. And what you just described is that supernatural gift of wisdom in translating the word for your son. I mean, exactly spot on that it is the Holy Spirit that can empower us and set us apart, sanctify us for something so holy as parenting, for instance. Or it might be in your vocation, uh, where you go to work, or maybe where you're learning at school. Wherever you are, there is a calling of God, and you can be anointed by him to be set apart and fulfill that. We're a people here at Viewpoint that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to anoint We want to invite you to open yourself to this anointing of the Holy Spirit. You do not have to be a king or a queen. In these New Testament days, everyone can be anointed for sacred purpose. But as you think about that and as you prepare to pray with us, know that this anointing comes with a surrender to Jesus. You must first acknowledge Jesus as Lord and seek his forgiveness and allow him to make you fresh and new, to be born again. And as you do that, then you can also seek the anointing of the Spirit, our Father in heaven. We pray that your Holy Spirit will cover us. For everyone praying with us now, I pray that they will first be saved by the blood of Jesus and surrendered into his life and will. And we pray, Lord, that as we are born again in Christ, that you will also call us to go deeper to be filled by the Holy Spirit in a way that we are sanctified and set apart for holy purposes. Help us to realize our calling and to be a royal priesthood, that we ourselves, though we may not have wealth in a material sense, and others may not walk by us knowing our calling, may we have the security, the confidence of knowing that the Holy Spirit is on us and we have been set apart to do good and great things. And help us to identify those, Lord, and pursue them with courage, with wisdom, with humility. We thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross that makes the Holy Spirit available to us. And we thank you for that spirit that can anoint us now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you've prayed with us, as you've listened to us today, we want to invite you to reach out and speak with us. Just give us a call. Dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day. We're by the phone, I promise, ready to hear your voice, anxious to hear your voice. 
Jimmy, I know that not everyone is ready to make a phone call yet, though. Perhaps they would just like to check us out online. What's our web address? Our web address is www.cbhviewpoint.org. That's right. CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's exactly who we are. CBHviewpoint.org. You can read about the ministry there. You can send us a message. We will reply. Maybe you're even accessing this conversation right now on social media. And if you are, just put a comment in the social media feed. We're watching that too, and we'll get right back to you. Or at the last, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you give us a call, check us out online, use social media, or use the post, we do hope to hear from you in this new year. Jimmy, thanks for walking alongside, and I promise you, I'm getting you those Crown DVDs. You're going to love them. I know I will. (laughs) And we are so thankful that you've joined us in this new year also on Viewpoint. We hope you'll be back again with us next week as we unpack another episode in this, our series called The Crown. Until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.